0: And so this guy, he sets it all up, removes the lens, sits in front of it for three to seven minutes, and then covers it back up. And then on the back of the exposure, the first, he said, the first uh, picture in light. And, And it was just a picture of him. He looks very unhappy. But I would be, too, to sit there for three to five, seven minutes for a selfie. Have you ever been, like, down in uh, Branson? We're standing in front of the Sight and Sound Theater, and we got some guy, Hey, yeah, take a picture, you know? I get frustrated if it takes more than a few seconds You just go. Tch, tch, tch. I'm like, have you ever seen a smartphone? Just swipe and hit it, you know? But then I'm just like that, you know? I'm like, all thumbs when someone asks me. But I get so impatient. Three to five minutes? I'd be going crazy. So I'd be looking just like that guy. And that's what he, his pose is. And, and not just that, in 1839, we kind of fast forward a little bit, and in 1914, oh, look at that guy. Look at that. Isn't that an interesting thing? That's a, that's a neat picture. That's in the uh, Library of Congress, and, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting. You can do an, an internet search, and you'll pull up another picture, and they think it's that guy. That's not that guy. So if you see like a weird guy with a beard and he's holding an old camera in front of him, that's not Cornelius. That's some other random dude. He's not an Australian either. And um, so, you know, then we fast forward, 1914, this lady, how many of you see the Disney, I think it's Disney, Anastasia. Is, is that a Disney or it's a cartoon? I don't even know. Girl princess movie. And uh, so Anastasia, when she was a teenager, her, her dad, uh, Duke, whatever, um, He liked to take pictures. He was a he was a picture nut. And so they all had, you know, cameras and he was very meticulous in his filing. She took a picture of her standing in front of a mirror for her friend. I think that is qualifying for the first teenage selfie, like what we are used to today. I I think it really is, because she was a teenager and she took that picture. That was in nineteen fourteen. But now we have grown so much. In fact, uh, I was reading about the uptick in self-photography when a Polaroid in the 70s came out. I had a Polaroid camera. Anybody had a? polaroid camera this is very funny um i can't tell some of the jokes that i heard but there was a joke about a Pollock and a camera and i can't say it anymore but the fact that i still remember it causes me to go to the lord for repentance all the time it's so horrible i am so politically incorrect i don't fit in this generation and uh so but when i remember the polaroids you would take them out and you would do this hide them under your armpit sit on them all kinds of stuff to try and help them develop anybody else remember doing that breathing on them, ah, 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 like that they don't do that anymore it's just so crazy and uh, but that was an uptick a huge uptick in taking pictures of yourself and then like right there in the 80s they started breaking out these digital cameras that were going around and everybody started taking pictures of themselves and then come 2000 it is like an explosion thank you to iphone horrible This is why I think the apple is truly the fruit in the Garden of Eden that caused the fall of mankind, and it's why Apple put it on their logo. Never mind, anyway. And um, I also think that that apple could have been a tomato, but anyway. um, But I look at this and I think, uh, wow, we have become so obsessed with ourselves. I've always looked at a photograph or a picture, and my first uh, intention is to find where I'm at. That's what I've kind of done by default. When I started to realize that about when I look, I intentionally try to look everywhere else, which is really the same thing. <laughs> I find me and then I look everywhere else, <laughs> but I still look for me. Does anybody else look at a picture and you, you, by default, you just look for yourself? I know when I take a picture with five girls in the family, I, it doesn't matter what I look like in the picture because... If any one of them isn't smiling just right or in the right pose, this is a horrible picture. I'm like, all five of the other people in this picture look beautiful. You just are a little cross-eyed. That's it. You're just a little cross-eyed, and everybody still loves you. But nope, it's not a good picture, and it's because we all look to our face. We just want to see it. And um, and then now, in the last couple years, I'm just infatuated with the whole Everybody can be a superstar. Everybody can have a video, you know, blog. Everybody can have followers. I mean, and Facebook has ruined a world. Um, We just, everybody wants likes and everybody, it's all about us. What we eat, how we played it. Where did we go today? All those things. Uh, It's amazing how much we've gone from Cornelius taking a picture of himself to us being obsessed with every little thing about us. And I think, man, wow. It kind of makes me sick when I think about it from a spiritual point. And um, and here's the crazy thing. I don't think it is innocent. I think the fact that we have become so self-consumed is destroying us. It's destroying something inside of each and every one of us, and we are not noticing it because there's lagging indicators. We live a selfish life, and nothing bad happens today. But I'll tell you, there's a, there's a destroying of the foundation of our soul, and later on, we see some ramification or an effect of that. It's weird. It tastes good while it's happening. But later on, it kind of leaves a pit in our stomach. And, um, and so I looked up selfishness in the old Webster's Dictionary. I like going back. And, um, and the reason is because it, it's just different reading there. And it says in the old Webster's Dictionary, it says, selfishness is a quality or a state of being that is selfish. It's an exclusive regard to one's own interests, one's own happiness, It is a supreme self-love. It is a supreme self-preference which leads a person to direct his purposes, his advancement, all towards his own interests, his own power, his own happiness, without even regarding others. It was Sir McIntosh who said this, a vice of selfishness is at variance with the happen- happiness of the very person who um, harbors this vice. It, it's actually something that condemns us by self love. The Bible says it in a little bit different way. It says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, something that we read last week, it says in verse 24, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who's going to save it. Man. You know, when when I'm selfish and I'm caring for me and my own happiness and my own advantage, and I'm not really thinking about others, what are the ramifications? What happens? Well, I know in one sense, just from the church world and pastoring and spiritual life, when we become preoccupied with self, we leave no room for the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that from like a a sterile, analytical, like I read this in a book and saw some statistics. No, I know from personal experience. When I'm more consumed with me, there is less Jesus and less Jesus sauce in my life because it's all about me, my feelings, my wants, my lacks. All that kind of stuff. Me, me, me. And man, you know, years ago, I've told you before, when I first started out in this life, I think I learned early on to be insecure and worry about what people think about me and stuff. And, and, uh, and there were circumstances that made that uh, more of a, an issue. But it was not my circumstances that made that happen. It's something inside of us as human beings. We're bent towards sinful things. And selfishness is a sin. And, and so I had this inner bent towards insecurity, which is a weird way of making much of me. I'm thinking too much about me. I'm worried about what others think about me. I'm worried about me. Basically, my whole world is me. Isn't that interesting? You know, when kids are little and still somewhat innocent, they do things that adults would never do because they're too self-conscious and they're thinking about me. So little kids will dance in front of visitors at home. Why? Just because mom says, hey, Benji, do that little dance. And so Benji does the dance. And and I don't even think anything of it. I'm actually happy until I'm about nine. Then I'm like, no. And and then they're like, come on. Until I was like 14, I'm like, fine, I'll go get my tights. And uh, and, uh, it's really not a joke or a stretch. That's... uh, It's really what happened. It was, uh, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah," and uh, I have pictures to prove it. It's really disturbing. I should bring those to church sometime. They're not on Facebook, and uh, (laughs) and uh, so I mean, we just we're we're innocent, and we're not thinking about ourselves, and so we do silly, funny things, and and we get nicknames for all that. Why? Because there's no. We're not so consumed with ourselves. But then somewhere along the line, we learn to think more about ourselves and then we get addicted to it and it's like cocaine. And then next thing you know, we're no longer risking. Why? Because I'm afraid. We're no longer trying. Why? Because I'm afraid. And then when it comes to church, think about how often we are so consumed with ourselves, we don't even follow the spirit of God because what I just said is true. When you're thinking about yourself and you're self-consumed, you leave less and less room for the spirit of God. There have been times where I've felt the Holy Spirit say pray for this individual. And right before you go, yeah, a selfish thought comes in. But what if you don't have the anointing? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know." Then I'll look foolish. And if I look foolish, then I'll uh, I'll look foolish. <laughs> so I don't want to do that. And so then you hesitate well, how do I need the anointing? Well, I probably need to go to church and get that that class on how to get the anointing so I don't feel so foolish. (laughs) And I probably need a good phrase so that when I use the phrase, the phrase is what does the work so then it's really not about me. And it's just this elaborate mind games of trying to get away from thinking about self. Wouldn't it be just nice if we would be delivered from selves? I told one of my pastor friends the other day, we were talking about somebody that, um, he, he had a testimony of someone being delivered in their church service, and I was like, didn't that awesome? I was like, I, deliver, I have a deliverance service every Sunday. And they said, really? I said, yes, before anybody arrives at church, I cast me out of myself. <laughs> I lay hands on my forehead, and I'm like, in the name of Jesus, Ben, get out of Ben. And it's like, and I have to just cast myself out. Why? Self is so distracting and it's miserable. It destroys me. And it's just what scripture says. I wish scripture wasn't true. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for laughing because I would like it to not be true all the time. I want to try and prove it false and be successful in that. And sometimes an exception to the, you know, rule makes me feel like, yay, I found the, the hole and I'm going to be able to live for myself. And then I hit bottom and I'm like, darn it, the Bible is still true. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. And um, I was, if you're a pastor, don't read Ezekiel 34. Don't read it. I know you might be tempted to, don't. Skip right over it. It's the worst section in Scripture if you're a pastor. Why? Because he critiques selfish pastors. And boy, I read through Ezekiel 34, and there are times where I'm like, Lord, why? And he's like, because you pastors get selfish sometimes. And I'm like, yes, but why would you have to write it for everybody to read? So in 34 verses 2 through 6, there's so much there. It's like, you know, shame on you pastors for not preserving or caring for the sheep. Instead, you're using them for your own selfish purposes. And I'm like, man, I hate that. And then it says in verses 8 through 10, he's going to hold us accountable. <laughs> I'm going to turn in my resignation. I'm going to say, "Can I do a different job? I don't want to be held accountable for being an unselfish pastor um, and living this self-centered pastor life. I can't do that." And I think the problem is, is I'm American. I think that's it. From an early age, I've been told, "You could do anything. You're an American." You believe it, you see it, you imagine it, you visualize it, you can do it. You go to college, you could do it. You know, if you try hard enough, you could do it. I believe I could fly. (laughs) I believe I could touch the sky. I can see me running through that open door right now. I'm running through that open door. Think about it every night and day. Come on, help me out. I, I believe I can soar. <laughs> and, and we believe it. We believe it. I can have my best life now. I could I do th- Oh, now it hurts. Oh. Ah, you guys are so funny. That's great. I step on one toe and everybody's like, ah, we shouldn't have gone there. And, uh, oh, yeah, because the pastors in Ezekiel's time were using religious things to benefit selfishly. And in the New Testament time, they got really pointed. They said, how dare you use all these spiritual things you're seeing and experiencing for selfish things? So we see this term, selfish ambition, come up. And Selfish ambition is a source of so much of the issues in church, in our personal life, and in our struggles. And so I really have been seeing, God, there is so much. This is like, you know, they have keystone habits that are big habits that other habits are built upon. So if you, mag- if you focus on these keystone habits and, and, and change those things, you're going to affect a lot more in your life. It's kind of like uh, dealing with the addictions that you have at times and putting off the deeds of the flesh. Stop f- focusing on the little side effects and get to the core issue. Focus on that thing. That's a keystone habit. Well, one of the keystone habits of our flesh nature is selfishness. Self, self, self. And I'm like, man, it touches everything. And so how do we deal with self? And, um, and so I started out, I was like, okay, well, um, in a, one expository dictionary, it talks about this idea of desire and especially selfish desires, which have the most easily recognized kind of a fruit in sensual desires, things in our senses that we Uh, see and taste and feel and look at and all that kind of stuff and then we run for it. We desire it. And and it's like Christians are supposed to recognize these desires as they grow and do things about this. We're supposed to see it, not ignore it, not make excuses for it. We're supposed to call it out and be like, that's sin. That is a sinful, selfish desire. So if I'm going to start dealing with Something like selfishness, I have to be willing to acknowledge it in me. I must have prayed this prayer without knowing it 28 years ago when I fell in love with Petraea. I thought I was falling in love with Petraea, and her sole pursuit in life was to make me happy. That was why I wanted to get married. I wanted to get married so she could make me food. She could make babies. She could make me happy. She could, some of you are like, what? And uh, she could do all this stuff. She could make the house cleaner or make my life more fun, you know? If I'm lonely, she's there. I mean, some of you are like, Pastor Ben, you are gonna get smacked big time. Oh, come on. If you're a guy, you've got a selfish bone probably in your life too. You better acknowledge it. At some point, I started to realize. Like in Open Range, Kevin Costner's character says to his brand new wife, how is this marriage going to work if you don't do what I say? (laughs) He's struggling with this idea of it's all about me. That's one of my favorite worship songs, by the way, from the 90s. It's all about me. You should do things my way. Wait a minute, that's not how it goes. If you remember that song, it's not about me as if you should do things my ways. It's all about you. You know, and and so I I realized that marriage is one of those vehicles, one of those tools that God uses to kill me. <laughs> and point out the areas where I'm thinking just about myself. And I do a lot. I, I really do a lot. And uh it's funny because I think the only way it works in this marriage is because Petra just agrees to ignore my selfishness at times. And, uh, and there are moments where I trick her and make it feel like I'm going to be unselfish, and then I go back to selfishness. And, and I, it, I, it's just... Maybe I'm just getting older and I'm starting to realize this is one of those fights that I've had all my life. Selfish thoughts, selfish ambitions. And I'm starting to ask a very important question. How much has it cost me? How much has my selfishness cost me? Years of happiness, maybe. How much has my self-centered thinking and selfish stuff cost me um, in my friendships? What about in effectiveness in ministry or in the calling that God has for me? You could ask the same questions. How much is selfishness costing you? Has it cost you a relationship? Has it cost you a night of sleeplessness? Where you're so torn up and your stomach is eaten up and you got acid coming out everywhere just because you're so anxious over what? Thinking about you. I've been there. So I sit here and I'm... Giving you a message today, and I'm going, man, this is, I I really am going to take this off of the top 10 list. If it ever gets to the top 10 list of messages I preach, I'm going to remove it. Why? I don't want to hear this message. It doesn't make me happy initially. But I do believe this. If we don't start acknowledging this problem of selfishness, we are going to grow increasingly depressed, increasingly aimless and our culture as a whole is going to implode this is like c4 explosives in our soul and we are putting charges selfie images in it every day and we're thinking about self so much at some point our world is going to explode a marriage will end why well she no longer makes me happy oh when was it all about your happiness sir Or a job. Well, I don't like this job. Why? Because I don't believe we should work this hard. Oh, when did you decide work was not a blessing prior to the fall? Because work was given prior to the fall. So work. If you're lazy, you shouldn't eat. You need to work. I don't like that. I don't care. Well, you should care because it's all about my feelings. Nope. All right. Acknowledge it. It's not about your feelings. Our schools are imploding. Why? Because it's all about feelings. You have to teach young kids now, not just you have feelings, you've got to put them in the forefront. Why? Because we are a self-centered world. Churches now. And I'm not feeling it. It used to be, I love these in the 80s, it was everything was about being fed. I don't know if that phrase is even... Uh, used anymore. It's archaic now. I'm just not being fed. And I was like, man, we don't even do potluck dinners at church very often. So I'm not surprised you're not fed. And the little communion that we get, I mean, I don't even like those little synthetic wafer things. And I got in trouble eating all the leftovers and drinking all the little juices when I was a kid. I mean, there's no future in that. It's just, and if you eat that much, you kind of get binded up. And anyway, anyway, I think there's something in those synthetic wafers. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised you're not getting fed. But here we have donuts. So no one in church can say, I'm not being fed. Liar, liar, pants on fire. There are donuts there. If you want more, come earlier. And uh, so it's just amazing how we've turned everything around to what Webster said. It's my wants, my ambitions, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm really kind of praying, Lord, help us. So if you've taken notes, you could already tell the first point of what do we do? Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it, right? But then what is the second thing that we need to do? We need to kill it. We need to crucify it. (laughs) I did not have time because this idea hit me about 1030 last night but don't be surprised if it doesn't happen next Sunday. I'm gonna get me a dummy version of me. Like, you know, a crash test dummy version of me. I might take it to the coffee shop with me. I might take it everywhere I go for a whole week just to see how many people in Greebay go, who is that weird guy that carries around a replica dummy of himself? I will do it and act like it's normal. I will videotape it just so you know I'm not lying. Yeah. This is not weird, this is normal, in my mind at least. And every now and then I'm gonna stab it. I'm gonna stab it so then people are like, I think he needs to go to the medical center now. I'm sure the little Java is gonna be <laughs> like speed dialing, medical, medical, help, this guy's killing himself, we think, we don't know, but it's creepy, help us! And I'll be like, die, die! you know the whole reality is there is an aspect of christianity that tells us if you want to be a christ follower it goes through this doorway of crucifying self the very thing that we're built by nature to pers- per- uh, preserve and and guard jesus says make it vulnerable expose that selfishness and kill it so everything in the christian life is is like toxic to the self-life. Think about that. Everything that's good in Jesus' world is killing this self-centeredness. Why? Well, because there's two methods of living. You could live in this idea that we're following Adam's nature. Or you can live following Christ's nature. And if you go back from the very beginning, Genesis, and you look at what happened in the fall, you will see that Adam and Eve both sought personal agendas without any regard to God or God's laws. They they really suffered from self. Where did they get this influence? Well, they came by it naturally in a way because it's a part of this whole kind of axiom of loving Jesus with all your heart. You can't just love him as, a, as an autonomous Tom or whatever the word, as a robot. You've got to love him by will. You must choose to follow him. And so God gave Adam and Eve a choice, almost the same kind of choice we infer that Satan himself had. Because Satan had enough of a free will to say... The Old Testament prophet says, I will, I will, I will. He wanted to ascend to the throne just like God. He wanted to become just like God. He wanted all the worship that God got. He had all these ideas, I will, I will. And God said, you won't, boom, and crushed him. And then that same I will, I won't creeps up in the free will of man in the Garden of Eden. And they followed this selfish ambition because the fruit looked good. And they thought there'd be a benefit to it. And then they took it and then they fell. And you can continue to walk in a way that seems right to us, that feeds that selfish desire. And even if that selfish desire is rooted in something real, like natural and good, it is going to cheat you out of the way God wants to provide for you. And it'll offer you a different way, Adam's way. You take that fruit, you get that knowledge, you get it for yourself. And will you surely die? No, he probably didn't even mean that. And then you suffer. And the very thing you want, you don't get. Wow. Or you could choose Christ's way. And when you follow Christ, you follow him. And here's the thing. If you're going to kill self, we have got to think more about Jesus and what he did for us. It is beautiful how the New Testament Uh, declares this or, or talks about this. It says, Christ put his rights aside and took on the form of a servant. And he didn't just serve, he served to the extreme point of death. And those he died for were not his friends. It could almost be a stretch of the imagination to think that somebody would die for their friends. Why? Maybe they would be immortalized with a statue or something. But no, he died for those that didn't even like him. That's how much he was selfless. He emptied himself of himself. And, and that, is the, that is the pinnacle of what we're to be like. So we can either have that image that is selfless, or we could have the image of Adam and the image of Satan, which is self-image. And we could smear that on us and say, this is what we're about. Boy, and the weird thing that we've got to balance in our own heart and mind is we must know that in our mind, your fleshy, worldly mind is ingrained with an idea that says, don't do it. It's going to hurt you more than you think. Stop it, protect you, protect you. Nobody else is gonna protect you. God's not gonna protect you, all that kind of stuff. And you've got to say, that is a lie that is false evil, and I bind that kind of thinking. You wrap it up, throw it out your mind. Okay, you got to throw that out, and then you have to say consciously, I refuse to follow that kind of thinking, and I'm going to follow a selfless, servant-oriented mindset. I'm going to put others first. Ooh, So now we get into the nitty-gritty of crucifying self and flesh and all that kind of stuff, and we begin to apply it in real life. We start volunteering. We start helping. We start putting other people's interests first. We think less about ourselves. That right there is horrible. I tried a a whole log this week of how many times I thought about other people and other things, and and I began to try and evaluate if it was really me just thinking about me or them, and I realized that all of my thoughts are really about me, and if I'm thinking about you, it's really so that you think better about me. (laughs) Are you as confused as I am right now? I'm just telling you, it is hard to get away from selfishness. It's probably at the core of every one of my problems. I'm just a selfish booger, and I need to be cleaned. And so I think we've got to pray, Lord, help us. Help us to walk free from selfishness. When I say that our salvation entails this crucifixion of our flesh and its passions, I've often gone to Galatians chapter 5 just because it is so colorful in its language. In Galatians 5, it talks, uh, you, could, you could go all around in Galatians 5, around in that 20s, and, and look at the fruit that comes from our flesh. And one of those evidences of our flesh is selfish thinking. This perverse desire and yucky stuff that just comes flowing out of us. And instead, we need to walk by the Spirit, not by these things. Wow. Wow. You know, Paul admonishes the young preacher in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, I want you to flee the, those selfish desires, those youthful lustings that you want. You've got to run away from those. Stop pursuing those and pursue Jesus. That's really what he's encouraging them. And then in 1 John to, verses 16 through 17, we see some of these final words from John where he says, hey, all the things that we are selfishly desiring and we're wanting, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all these things, this is the stuff we selfishly desire. It is all part of a world and a system and something that is passing away. It's all going to just dissolve into nothingness. So the reality is, This struggle is in this temporary life and in this temporary life only. It is amazing to me how every battle I fight where selfishness is at the core of my fight, I think it is the ultimate fight, the biggest battle. And so I must win. In marriage, if it's an argument between me and Petraea, I am right, I want to be right, I I need to be right. Why? I am the man. (laughs) I am the man, I am the right man. And on top of that, I am the preacher. I have a direct line to the Lord, and the Lord has told me I am right. <laughs> and she goes, and I'm the Holy Spirit. So, and No, she does not say that. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, oh, wow. And, uh, but even in those things, it's like I feel at the core of those struggles, it's selfishness. But yet that's only temporary. It's going it's to be gone. You know, and if you're struggling in things like uh, achievements and you're just like, well, who am I? I'm something, something age and I've not accomplished anything yet. And I look online and everybody that's 20 years old has six companies that they've started and they have blogs and people like them. And I'm nothing. I just have kids. (laughs) It's so funny the pressures that young moms have nowadays, don't they? That young dads have. And, and where does all that fight come from? Selfish ambitions and weird things that creep in and distort our lives. Who cares? It is all part of a system that is all going to go and go away. So what really does matter? Throw that selfish stuff away now and live for Christ. Stop going after all that junk. Stop fighting so much for all those personal things that mean so much to you in the moment, but they're not going to mean at all anything for eternity. It's it's, just not going to matter. I don't remember one of my arguments from last year, really. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm forgetting. (laughs) But honestly, I just don't think those things that we feel are so worth fighting for are the things that we remember for years and years. I think we forget those little battles. Why? Because they really don't matter, or they shouldn't. So I do believe that James is right. What causes fights and quarrels? It's things that you and I want, that we're not living right. We're not going after Jesus. We're going after what we want. We might put Christian labels on it. We might clean it up and do whatever. But it really boils down to you are a selfish Christian, and now no other Christian is going to make you happy. Why? Because you was a self-centered Christian. And so you're going to always find somebody that's a Christian to fight with. Why? Because they're not you. And so this is a a struggle, isn't it? Oh, man, I just don't like this stuff. I don't like this stuff at all. So uncomfortable. (sighs) I'm going to leave you with a couple things. That's it. I need to stop this message because if I keep preaching more, there's going to be things I'm going to be held accountable for and I don't want to be. Um, so I'm skipping over one page. Um, yeah, I'm going to skip over the one page entirely. We might get to it next week, but you won't even know. So, um, <laughs> so you won't even know because uh, you don't see what I'm written down here. But um, but I can tell you this: um, in John chapter 12, verse 25. He puts a different spin on this topic, and I want to leave us with this thought. He attaches this word love to it. John chapter 12, verse 25. He who loves his life loses it. This began to hit me this morning as I was thinking of this generation of young people struggling with mental depression and illness, and it's everywhere. Do you know where that comes from? Sin. The specifics, it's too much in the weeds for me to get into today, but I can tell you one thing I know for sure. When you are consumed with self, depression is its cousin, its friend, and it comes right in. And when you are in such love with yourself, don 't be surprised if you struggle with depression don 't dis- don 't be surprised if you struggle with despair or an emptiness because if you love your life, all this stuff that brings suke all this not, not this life that 's in the spirit. In that sense, no, if you love your thoughts, your ideas, your passions, your wants, your dreams, your natural existence, you love what you love and all that kind of stuff. If that's what motivates you and consumes you, you're never, ever going to be satisfied enough. You're never, ever going to get what you are expecting to get from loving that. You're never going to find the right husband, the right wife, the right friendship, the right job, the right church, the right anything. Why? Because you are in love with you. You're in love with your thoughts, your mind, your ways. And it's a love. And it's easy to love yourself, isn't it? But John says, the person who loves themselves like that, they're going to lose everything that is important. Wow. Wow. My fear is that young people and parents and elderly folks, all alike, we have to start falling in love with Jesus and and not so much in love with ourselves. The evidence will show up because we're going to start loving other people more too. But it starts with the love of Jesus. Then he begins to kind of permeate our souls with a love for other people and it's easier to put their interests first but it starts with the love of Jesus and you can't love him and love yourself at the same time and the reason is is because he's a jealous lover. Jesus wants all the love. He doesn't want self to have a love also. The fear in our flesh is that if, if I'm not loving myself, who is? Let Jesus love you. He'll do a much better job and if you let him love you, all the things you really need, he brings. A sense of belonging, a sense of acceptance, a sense of purpose, a sense of strength, and all these things. He begins to transform so much in our life. Why? Because you're, you gave him the job of loving you. You stopped it and just let him. But it's gonna feel like dying. Just like when you grieve the loss of someone in your life that's been important, you have to let them go. You're gonna have to let self go. You're gonna to have to say, hey, you might have to have a funeral service for self. <laughs> I give you permission to go home today and be creepy as all get out and have some candles in a fake little coffin and put your mini doll version of you in it. <laughs> and that's when people will take pictures and be like, I told you it was a cult. Right there, right there is a cult. And um, <laughs> whatever it would take to just burn this image in your mind. We have got to say goodbye to self and let it die and bury that ugly, old nature and let Jesus love us. But really, our ambition should now be, I want to love him. Would you stand with me this morning? And and I pray that the Lord has been stirring your heart. I don't know if I'm going to take a selfie again for a while. I can't say forever because, you know, I'm thinking I'm gonna bury myself, but then I I know where I buried him. I might just go back and dig him back up, take another selfie. And uh, and you thought I was joking when I said next week I might show up with a little version of me. (laughs) It's kind of creepy, I wonder if he'll play guitar. (laughs) Oh man. Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you today because we're so consumed with ourselves. We, I don't know if we understand how to get out of it. I feel like we as a generation are stuck in a, in a quagmire, in a yucky tar pit of selfishness. And no matter where we go, even if we try and avoid it, This selfishness is getting on us and it's in us and it's everywhere. So, Lord, I need you to come and put a fresh spirit inside of us. Every person in this room, Lord, my heart's desire is that we would uh, crucify self, deny self. And put it in its place and not be mastered by selfishness. Lord, the idolatry of selfishness we're sick of. It has caused us as a nation to be sick with depression and all kinds of ills. All of the tension and all the striving from selfishness and demanding of our rights. It is tearing our nation apart. It is torn apart families The cost financially is more than we can comprehend. The cost in humans is more than we could ever understand, Lord, but you know. And so, God, we come to you. You're the only one that can do anything about this today. Would you come and would you put in us a fresh spirit, a fresh heart that loves you and denies self? And Lord, if we've got to do some grieving today, would you help us to grieve not in a worldly sense that produces nothing, but in a good way. Would you help us to grieve in a way where we have a sense of motivation that drives us to love you even more? Help us to repent, God. Grant us that spirit of repentance so we can turn away from self and follow you. Lord, I pray as we do this, that you heal marriages, you restore them, Lord God, that you heal what the enemy has broken in our lives through selfishness. Lord Jesus, we curse that evil idol of self and we ask for a restoration of right thinking and right loving. I'm going to open up the altars. Um, we'll be available to pray with you, but you know if you need to do a little bit of just soul care right now take a couple seconds come down to the altar kneel for a a little bit and just pray some prayers the lord i believe is moving in a special way i thank you so much for what you're doing god